Over the past two episodes, we've taken a good, hard look at the story of Bonnie and Clyde. In those episodes, we did our best to show you that the glamorous, sexy, bank-robbing duo that you thought you knew was mostly a myth, and these guys were small-time crooks who killed people to facilitate escape and who failed at pretty much every attempt at larger crimes. This week, we're wrapping up their story, and if you think they finally figured out how to commit really cool, victimless crimes and escape to a beach to live happily ever after, stop listening now. You have a childlike innocence that I cannot bring myself to take away from you. But if you aren't a naive idiot, you're going to want to hear how this thing ends. So, it's time to grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of 100 Proof History titled Bonnie and Clyde Part 3. More like Ghanian died. Right, guys? This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. All right. Welcome to the wild ride that is the third and final part in the Bonnie and Clyde story. Hold on to your hats and make sure your getaway car is fueled up, because we're taking you back to the 1930s to follow the daring exploits of these infamous outlaws. Get ready for a thrill ride through history, and don't forget to buckle up. You son of a bitch. What? <laughs> Chat GPT again, wasn't so? it? So? <laughs> It's cut my work in half. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I'm in love with ChatGPT. Yeah? And I mean like in, like in love. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I mean, it's good to find that kind of connection, I guess. I want to fuck ChatGPT. <laughs> and I want to be fucked by ChatGPT. <laughs> it's mostly that one. Anyway, I'm Greg and co-host Chris. He's He's here as well. Yeah, I'm back. Uh, took last week, uh, took the whole week to get out of the Matrix. Wasn't really sure I wanted to get out, you know? Yeah, man. It's good to have you back. You're looking a little weird, though. Yeah. What with the... Why, like, why are you wearing sunglasses? You're inside. <laughs> why are you wearing a trench coat? It's 94 degrees in Texas right now. Well... And you have that weird... What is it? Is that like a butthole in the back of your head? A robot butthole? <laughs> All I can say is don't go to school tomorrow. Trench coat mafia joke? Columbine? It's a column joke. Yep, I did it. On the fucking verge of 420? Oh, this actually might come out on 420 shit. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> shit. Anyway. Oh, my God. This would... Uh, yeah, this one would come out on 420. Holy shit. <laughs> well, you reap what you sow, Chris. You're a piece of shit. Sorry to all the survivors listening. <laughs> I was almost a survivor of Columbine, seriously. Yeah? Have I told you that? No. You yeah, before had... we moved back to Texas, that's the high school I was going to go to. I would have been there as a freshman. Oh, damn. Yeah. This show would have been so much different. The world would have been. I wouldn't have allowed that shit to happen. Are you kidding me? <laughs> All 115 pounds of me back then? <laughs> oh, yeah. You fucking kidding, dude? I'd fill that whole fucking cafeteria with uppercuts. <laughs> You're just like, back, down, back, B, Hadouken! 
and you get shot right in the fucking face. Down forward punch, you fucking idiot. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that's why you would not stop a school shooting, and I would. So. Uh, well, I'm not proud of anything I've said so far, but maybe it'll get better going forward. Okay. I bet you can nail the source. I can nail the source. Our main source for this series has been Go Down Together by Jeff Ginn. You know, it's a great book. Read it. I'm tired of telling you people to read this book. Either you're going to do it or you're not. You know, it's like my kid. You know, I, I can tell her over and over and over again, let daddy know when mommy has special friends over. But if she doesn't do it, at some point, you know, I just got to hide in the closet with a loaded forty five. Oh, and a sock. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You got to take care of business before you come out and confront people. You know? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not confronting, but I'm busting out and I'm handing the gentleman the gun. I'm saying, sir, point this at me while I masturbate. It gives me a thrill. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is escalating. By the time it's Bonnie and Clyde part eight, what are you going to be saying when it comes to the source? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, like I said in the intro, this is the final part. And, you know, I, I think it's funny. And I was talking to Chris about it. It's, we'll have these very serious topics, the huge topics of historical implication that runs for millennia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll do an episode or two on it. And then you got Bonnie and Clyde, and we're three episodes in now. But on there's just so much wild-ass shit. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just entertaining. It really is. Just telling all these dumb fucking stories is just, oh, it's the best. Yeah, I mean, we could, we could talk about, I mean... Krakatoa, big fucking volcano, erupted, killed thousands of people. Gonna be a boring episode, but you talk about a boy and a girl traveling the country, robbing things, killing things, getting really, really hurt while they do it, man, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, I'm happy to be here, Greg, for Bonnie and Clyde Part 3 of 12. <laughs> Krakatoa, that's the worst. Yeah? You know what's worse than that? What's that? Step on a Legoa. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You crack, crack a toe. You stub your toe. I thought you were going to say stub a toe. A motherfucker, dude. <laughs> He's getting better. He's practicing. He's getting there. Well, I, you know, I got a kid on the way. I got to start doing these dumb jokes. Yeah. Can't all be fucking buttholes and rainbows. <laughs> yeah. Baby's lying in the crib. And you're like, guess how many truckers I had sex with last night, baby? <laughs> Oh, you think you're good sucking on that pacifier? You should have seen me yesterday at the old truck stop. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm playing a character. You ever suck on a pacifier with a wart? <laughs> no, of course not. You're a baby. Not a male prostitute that has no self-respect. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. Yeah. You, uh, you ready to jump into the... Final, I promise, promise listener, final part of this episode. Let's fucking do it, man. I am stoked. All right. Let's you do it now. Okay. When we last left you, it was 1933, and the Barrow gang, led by Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker, had fallen on hard times. Clyde had been involved in eight murders, most of which were committed by people who were trying to stop him from committing other crimes. And most of those other crimes were auto thefts and robberies of gas stations, because any time they tried to commit a cool crime, like robbing a bank, it went horribly. 
Most recently, they had been involved in a shootout in Joplin, Missouri, where their bestest buddy and gang member, WD-40 Jones, had been wounded. To be fair, that bullet slipped right through him. Because he's slippery, Greg. Because you think WD-40 is a lubricant? Is it not a lubricant? Fuck no, dude. It's no. bad for that. Oh, I didn't know that, actually. It's a penetrant. You're not supposed to use it as a lubricant because it actually attracts dirt. Oh. I don't know. That's what old guys have told me in the past. <laughs> Explains why my wife has all those UTIs. <laughs> yeah, so WD had been wounded, and then in June of 1933, Clyde had driven his car off of a bridge, causing battery acid to splash all over Bonnie's leg, crippling her permanently. Hey, you see, Clyde Barrow was a real tough guy. He was a mean son of a gun. Word on the street is that he offed at least a dozen folks during his time on the lamb. But you didn't hear that from me, see? Is that a chat GPT line? It is. Clyde Barrow? <laughs> it is. Yeah. I, uh, I asked chat GPT a question and, and told him or her or it to write it in the style of a 1930s gangster. <laughs> I don't do anything anymore, dude. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I just put prompts into a fucking machine learning AI. See, he's his job on the internet, baby. Wait till ChatGPT starts trying to get a cut of that Patreon money. Yeah. That's when I attack fucking Cyberdyne systems. Skynet will not go <laughs> online. Your white tank top, doing your pull-ups. Oh, yeah, in the mental ward. Oh, yeah. Definitely me. <laughs> Arms just won't be as big. Oh, no. Man, she was jacked. So Linda Hamilton, are you fucking kidding me, dude? How do you yeah. compete with that? There's no fucking way. Terminator 2? Judgment Day? No. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Not even going to try to compete with that. She had to be on gear, man. There's no way. That was natural. Well, so much gear, dude. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. No. Not one bit. She didn't care that I'm on Cialis. And I don't care that she's on steroids. So, works out. Boop, boop. Yeah. Now, Bonnie, Clyde, W.D., Clyde's brother Buck, and Buck's wife Blanche were all on the run together, and they'd made their way to Fort Smith, Arkansas. Clyde's focus was the well-being of Bonnie. Sort of. He called for a doctor who advised Clyde to take Bonnie to a hospital, but Clyde refused. All the doctor could do was give her pain meds that she pretty much immediately became addicted to. Blanche, who wanted no part of the criminal life, was extra bitter because now she had to do all the cooking and cleaning and had to serve as Bonnie's nurse. To ease the tensions a little bit, Clyde sent for Bonnie's sister, Billie Jean, and had her come to Arkansas to help take care of Bonnie. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Not my lover. I mean, I've had a lover named Billy, but just not that one. Is that the girl you were telling me about that uh, thinks you're the one? Um, I just, I said Billy thought I was the one. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yep. I didn't say girl or guy. <laughs> just assumed. I'm sorry. That's, that's my mistake. Next lover named Billy. That's all. <laughs> It would be pretty hard for us to make a son, let's put it that way. <laughs> Not for a lack of trying, though. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I'm with you. All right. All right. I'm on the same page now. Yeah. Yep. Well, while we're here, let's talk about Blanche for a second, because she is the 
Skylar White of this whole operation. Like, she doesn't want to be a part of the criminal life. She thinks that her husband Buck should stop being a criminal, and this is a big fuck up, and, you know, Clyde's an idiot, and he needs to stop following him. But she does everything with him and kind of like, well, I don't want to leave you. I don't want to separate, so I'm not going to turn you into the cops or go home or anything, but uh, if you could stop doing it, that'd be really nice. You know, that'd be okay. And because I compared her to Skylar White, I hate her. She's awful. Very, very unlikable TV character. When she sings Happy Birthday as Marilyn Monroe to her boss, I vomit. I physically get ill. Ugh, I don't remember that. No, it's Must awful. be repressed memory. <laughs> I've got a lot of those from childhood, so it's probably <laughs> yeah. slotted right into that little index card box. Every time something bad happens, your brain's like, nope, don't like that. Not going to remember it. File it away. <laughs> Well, the gang was also low on funds, so Clyde sent Buck and W.D. into nearby Fayetteville to rob some small businesses and told them to keep a low profile. Of course, they made the mistake of being completely obvious when walking around town looking for potential targets. Excuse me, sir. Do you know any local businesses that have a lot of cash, no guns, and, uh... Maybe the teller has face blindness. I don't know. I <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> I'm new in town. Yeah, things along those lines. <laughs> yeah. Well, eventually they robbed a grocery store. WD snagged $20 from the cash register and 35 cents from the bag boy, but he didn't notice that the only customer in the store was wearing two diamond rings. When they fled the location, the townsfolk immediately notified police and gave their description and license plate number. As Buck and W.D. were speeding back to Fort Smith, they crested a hill and smashed into the rear of a slower-moving vehicle. Two police officers, who were already patrolling in the hopes of finding Buck and W.D., heard the collision and drove towards it. When they got there, Buck and W.D. immediately opened fire on them. W.D. had a friggin' Browning assault rifle, but couldn't hit shit with it. Buck killed one officer with a shotgun blast and pinned the other down in a field. That officer was still able to get off a few shots and took off two of W.D.'s fingertips. It was then that Buck and W.D. jumped into the officer's running car and sped away. When they got back to Fort Smith, they told Clyde what had happened, and the gang was forced to flee yet another town. Fortunately for Billy Jean, they sent her back home to West Dallas. wonder if she was getting child support, you know? No, because the kid's not his son, Greg. Dude, <laughs> eyes look just like his. <laughs> I wish Maury would have existed when that song came out. Well, I, I don't even think you need a DNA test. No? The kid grew up and started asking underage boys to bend over and show <laughs> their buttholes while he jacked off, just like Dad. <laughs> And before you guys go thinking that that's just, oh, man, you know what? These guys are way too crude. Mm -hmm. That was in the documentary about the two boys that had accusations against uh, Mr. Michael Jackson himself. So that's what I'm referencing. I'm not just throwing out buttholes for no reason this time. Th this time. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you cleared that up because the other day I was actually interacting with the listeners. You know, something you refuse to do. And they reminded me how young they were. And one of them said, yeah, I'm 19. I just smoke a lot of pot and listen to the show and uh, laugh at all the references I don't get. 
So like, you're talking about like, oh yeah, he's bending over, showing him his butthole while he jacks off. You're like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? What is that shit? <laughs> well, that documentary only came out a couple years ago. It's on fucking HBO. Check it out. <laughs> well, the gang moved on to Platte City, Missouri. They stayed at a Red Crown Inn. Clyde didn't notice that the owner was suspicious that they had paid for the room in coins, that they were dressed nicely, that Bonnie had to be carried everywhere, and that the owner took down his license plate. How did he know? <laughs> it was funny reading the book. They talk a lot about, like, they'll go to a restaurant and Clyde has to carry, like, Bonnie into the restaurant, set her down so she can get some food. You know, he has to take care of her, he has to carry to the bathroom, wipe her ass, all that. And I was like, Thinking about it, like, how common was this in the 30s during the Depression era? It was like, oh, yeah, here's a husband carrying his wife again. She's a cripple, so we'll just uh, put her over here in the corner, boys. You know, like, why didn't this raise any fucking alarms every time they saw him carrying this girl whose leg bone was visible into a restaurant? I mean, I carry my wife over the threshold of every restaurant. We go in fucking Chili's, I'd carry her and set her down in the booth. Oh, yeah? It's out of respect. You know, she's not, she's able-bodied. I just do it out of fucking respect. She requested me and I respect her request, you know. Okay. But, and because I'm a respectful husband, I carry her in there. I put her in the booth next to her boyfriend and I sit in the booth behind them. (laughs) You ever get in trouble for laughing at their jokes in the next booth over? You ever get that from your wife? Because that's, I mean, I get that all the fucking time. (laughs) I'm too busy with my WD-40. (laughs) Well, Clyde also didn't notice that the Red Crown Inn is where all the local cops hung out because, you know, this was before the days of in-car radios and the food at the diner was really good. The police soon realized that the Barrow Gang was just chilling in town and they began to prepare a raid. Meanwhile, Buck and Blanche were having serious talks about how Clyde sucked as a gang leader and the life of crime was really, really shitty. Buck told Blanche that once they left Platte City, they would separate from Clyde and go to Canada, where Buck figured he could make a living as a fur trapper. That same day, Blanche went to the drugstore to get supplies for Bonnie and weighed herself. She had lost 20 pounds in the three or so months she had been traveling with the gang. She also noticed how everyone stopped talking every time she picked up supplies or food from the diner. She told Clyde, but he told her she was just being a hysterical dame. Not to worry her pretty little head. You keep that woman brain safe in there, okay? You hear me? (laughs) Darling, your brain's only good for making babies. So stop doing all that thinking. Let the man do it for you. Brains for making babies and remembering how to make a pound cake. Get in the kitchen. The next morning at 1 a.m., police rolled up to the gang's cabins in an armored car and jumped out carrying heavy metal shields like medieval knights. I'm a shield. I am a shield. Heavy metal shield. <laughs> <laughs> Took a second. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> when the police knocked on the door, 
Clyde and WD immediately you started to sneak up on anybody <laughs> if you were bringing those things in. Yeah. You know, one of them's like, wow, yeah, wow. Then you got the other one, it's like, someone's like, fucking, then you had the one shield, like, boss, I I think they're trying to sneak up uh, right now. I don't know, that one shield's playing two kick drums at once, that's fucking badass, let's see what happens. (laughs) When the police knocked on the door, Clyde and W.D. immediately started firing through the doors and windows, smashing high-caliber rounds into the shields and pushing the cops back. Clyde moved to the garage where the car was parked and found the armored car had blocked them in. He fired his B.A.R. into the armored car, which it turns out wasn't super armored. And just real quick, we called it a Browning assault rifle earlier. This is that gun. It's just an automatic gun that um, the U.S. used a lot in World War II. It's a badass gun. Which takes place after this, but that's what it's famous for. Yeah. Bullets crushed the leg of the driver of the car, forcing him to back up. Clyde jumped in his own car, ready to speed off to safety once more. Buck and Blanche emerged from their room, but to get to the car, they had to sprint across the police firing squad. Buck... Sadly, was hit by a bullet in the left temple that exited through his fucking forehead. Oh, no. Rest in peace. There's no way you can survive that. Well, he wasn't killed. (laughs) But he still had to be helped to the car by Blanche. Just helped. Like, not even severely. She's just like, hey, it's over here. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) My bad. He sprints to the car. (laughs) I lost my bearings for a second. Thanks, Blanche. I forgot where we parked. You know, it's been a busy day. <laughs> I was looking around. I was thinking we're in a lot of F. We're in a lot of fucking J. I'm an idiot. Sorry, I got shot in the fucking head. <laughs> I was going to that Ford V8 in that row of parking, and it's not even my car. That's goddamn King Ranch. We don't have King Ranch. We can't afford a King Ranch. We're robbing people 36 fucking cents in the grocery store. <laughs> oh, I'm so stupid. It's that bullet that went through my fucking brain. Sorry. <laughs> got up there and I was trying to unlock the door I went unlocking and I look and there's a fuzzy steering wheel cover and I'm like oh god I'm such an idiot and I reached up to my head and I realized I was touching my brain because I got shot in the fucking head <laughs> she's just like I don't know why you're being so passive aggressive I'm just trying to help you right now okay and gets over here and why do you have a boner? I have a priapism. It's because my <laughs> spinal cord is damaged. Okay. <laughs> then you hear the fucking cops coming. Dun, 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 in faint distance. <laughs> They're like, oh, fuck, let's get out of here. <laughs> let's get out of here, boys. They're onto us. Just old pesky <laughs> cops trying to sneak up on them, you know? <laughs> fucking metal shields going ape shit. I tell you what, boys, these shields are fucking useless. <laughs> sure, they stop bullets, but what a cost! <laughs> well, Blanche led Buck into the car, and she laid him in the back seat and climbed on top of him to protect him from more gunfire. And to take advantage of that, uh, <laughs> that prior prism you're talking about. <laughs> mm, yeah. 
Involuntary boner. <laughs> I'm going to call a doctor for that one. As Clyde drove the car away, a bullet shattered the car's back window and glass splinters were driven straight into both of Blanche's eyes. This is exorcist shit. Yeah. <laughs> She's just like, what? They're shooting at us. Let me look at them. <laughs> Stop being hysterical back there. Did you get your period or something? Jesus. (laughs) Classic lady, am I right? (laughs) They sped north into Iowa, where Clyde stopped for gas and picked up some bandages, aspirin, and hydrogen peroxide that he poured directly into Buck's gaping head wound. Oh. Now, this is going to sting a little bit, honey. You just, That's a just bad hold my idea. hand. <laughs> oh, God. He's not a doctor, Greg. He's just doing the best he can, you know? Is he? They didn't have WebMD, you know? You just you just got to go with what you got. Yeah. Pulls in the gas station. He's like, what kind of medicines you got? And you go, well, we got this aspirin and these bandages and this hydrogen peroxide, and we have these rhino pills that'll make you hard as a fucking board. And he's like, well, he's already got that priaprism, so. We've got this snake oil. It's got a little sprig in there. See, that's time. The, the TH time. It's got a sprig of time in there inside the snake oil. And honestly, the guy that sold it to me, he said it's a cure-all. So <laughs> just dab a little on. You know, a little dab will do you. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> Sir, my my brother's brain is exposed. Oh, yeah, you can just, just take out. That's probably a, a serious Oh, the snake energy. oil. Yeah. Back, back to the snake oil. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, that sounds very serious. You might want to take the spirit of time out and just lay it onto his brain. Then pour the oil over the top. That way he gets the most exposure, you know? Just soak right into that brain material, you know? And then I heard if you if you just do a little seance, you cover yourself in mud, and then you and somebody else do a seance in a counterclockwise motion for eight hours. Uh, I, they said that with the snake oil. That takes care of anything. So, (laughs) that'll be three cents. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Because I'm old-timey and things don't cost shit. (laughs) This is going to put my kid through college. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Yeah, I sold those metal shields the other day. I made a hefty (laughs) $6.66. Because the devil. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, just a quick... Recap of the status of the gang at this point in the story. They're so broke, they're paying for things with change they steal from gas stations and gumball machines. W.D. Jones has a healing gunshot wound in his side and has lost the tips of two of his fingers. Bonnie's leg is so badly burned with acid that her bones are visible, she's addicted to pain meds, constantly drunk, and has to be carried to the bathroom where someone else has to wipe her ass. Buckbarrow has a giant fucking hole in his forehead, and his wife Blanche is blind because her eyes are full of shards of glass. Ah! End quote! Ah! End quote. (laughs) It's pretty funny that she end quoted in the scream, then screamed more so that you could really end quote it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not really sure why she said, end quote, in that quote, but... 
<laughs> she just wanted everybody to know. Yeah, obviously she's lost her mind. <laughs> she's on her period after all. <laughs> well, Clyde, Clyde's doing okay, you know? No wounds, really. He's, he's just living life, you know, leading the gang. Clyde's on fucking easy street throughout this whole thing. Everybody's <laughs> fucked up. And the leader's like, I don't know what everybody's complaining for, okay? Things aren't that bad. I am having the time of my life, fellas. Well, Clyde's just getting a feel for his leadership style, and yeah, okay, there have been some rough patches, but you just have to be patient. Surely, things will be better for the gang after we come back from break. Yeah, when his servant leadership style really starts to take hold <laughs> and pay off. Ooh, middle management theory right there. Leading by objectives, how about that? <laughs> You know, if you take care of your people, they'll take care of you. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that sounds like some fucking Dairy Queen bullshit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're a family here at the DQ. That's what I always said. <laughs> so I'm going to need you to stop whining about the fact your bones are showing through your legs and go mop the women's bathroom. <laughs> okay? I know we have three people on a shift at a time, and we've had 6,000 people work here in the last two years, but we're a family here at DQ. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a break and come back and see what happens. Can't wait. All right, we are back from break. Hope you enjoyed your break. And if you're wondering what we do... On our breaks, well, wonder no more. What? That's it. I'm not going to tell them. They need to mind their fucking business. Stop fucking wondering what we're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good call. Yeah, fuck these guys. I am a celebrity, but that doesn't mean you own me, okay? I need some privacy. Well, also, a little bit of intrigue comes from that privacy. Mm -hmm. Like when everybody was walking around with masks. I mean, I wasn't. I was vehemently, <laughs> vehemently opposed to it. So I'd do things like, you know, wear very, very wide fishnet over my face. And be like, well, I got a, I got a mask. Or I'd hold my hat over my mouth. Be like, well, mm -hmm. it's my mask. Anyway, that's all yeah. beside the point. <laughs> uh, I actually learned my, my lesson in prison after. <laughs> well, I don't want to get into it. I'm not supposed to talk about it. But let's just say... January 7th, mm -hmm. 2021, and on, I've had a new outlook on life. But I'm getting off topic. Mm -hmm. You remember when you'd go into the Walgreens not wearing your mask, and everybody else was, you'd see that, that chick. You'd be like, ooh, mm -hmm. she looked hot. But then, like, if she had to, yeah, for whatever, like, if she had to pull down her mask to spit in her dip cup or something like that. Right. And you saw her actual, like, nose and mouth and jawline, you're like, eh. It's not as good as the imagination. You know, the imagination, I feel like, with the opposite sex, fills in the blanks. Right, To yeah. maximum horny potential. That's why lingerie is so popular. 
So, keep wondering what we do in our breaks, <laughs> listener. It's not insurrection. I, do, I want to make that clear, especially <laughs> to my parole officer. It's not insurrectionist activities. Okay? <laughs> All right. Yeah, so mind your fucking business. But uh, hopefully, during your break, you had time to go grab a seltzer. Because what we like to do at the start of every second half is pop the top of one of those. Enjoy the fruity goodness in this little bit that we call Second Half Seltzer. Second Half Seltzer. Second Half Seltzer. Second Half Seltzer. That was some sweet ass playing by those shields. All right. Three, two, one. Pop. Your taps. Mm mm. All right, well, we are ready, I think, to tell the second part of this story. But to do that, we need Greg. And we need Greg, I feel like, at the top of his game, you know, to bring this home. (laughs) Do I have news for you? (laughs) Far from it, buddy. Far from it. Okay, well, do the best you can, and we'll still applaud your efforts. How about that? Don't make promises you can't keep. After fleeing Missouri, the Barrel Gang was looking for a place to lay low, and on July 23, 1933, they thought they had found it in Dexfield Park, an abandoned amusement park in Iowa between the towns of Dexter and Redfield. I just want to clear this up, because I know when I read this at first, I got the picture of, like, roller coasters and, you know, carnival rides and fun shit like that. It's it's basically what you'd expect from an Iowa Amusement park, it's got like a couple swimming pools and a croquet course, and you know, not much else. I just want people to think they're like they're fucking riding the the Texas giant over there and having the time of their goddamn lives. Oh, no, no, dude. Yeah, it's Iowa. Yeah. Des Moines, Iowa, suicide capital of the United States. Are you kidding? I did not know that. Also, where some of the shields are from, because that's where the metal band Slipknot is from. Metal shields. Shield wearing a fucking devil mask. Shield with long fucking hair chasing his dreams. Working in a gas station. Fuck yeah. (laughs) That's metal as fuck. He's got that denim vest on with all the patches of bands, concerts he's been to. Oh, yeah. I'm fucking Metal Shield. What's up? Oh, 20 on 3? All right, I got you, brother. (laughs) Hey, hey, check out our band. We're on, uh... We're on SoundCloud. Yeah, we sound like every other metal band you've ever heard before, too, but different sound, a little bit different. You know, you'll notice, you'll pick it up a little. Well, we got that one, though. It's dun But if you like that one, you'll really like the one that's dun 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 but if you break down the lyrics, you'll see it's, it's actually a recreation of uh, a soliloquy from Shakespeare. It's, it's really fucking good. You know? All right, Chris, now you're pissing me off. <laughs> I was playing along. I'm a huge metal fan. Now you're taking the piss out of the whole operation. <laughs> Why don't you listen to real music like me in my stadium country? <laughs> That's where it's at, bro. Fucking T-Swift, bitch. A little Florida Georgia line, you know? You know what I'm saying? Well, the line between two places, I do not want to fucking go. <laughs> Let me just you know, listen to music that says that. 
you don't want to listen to their music either. It's it's god awful. It's fucking terrible. And god damn it. While we're on the subject, CCR stands for Credence Clearwater Revival. Mm-hmm. Not cross fucking Canadian ragweed or whatever <laughs> the fuck. I want these real down country bands that came from California and developed an accent just to make the music. <clears throat> that's beside the point, okay? Anyway, they spent a couple days there with Clyde going into town to buy food and supplies like tweezers that they futilely used to try and pull the glass out of Blanche's eyes. Did you put the, futilely there to try to make me say futilely? Nope. I did like not. you did? I laughed shit. at it when I typed it. Now, what did it... We, I think we have a dramatic reenactment of what it sounded like when they were trying to pull the glass out of her eye. Wolf oh, Dick? Yeah. Um, Wolf Dick. End quote. Well, they planned on heading back to Texas, but unbeknownst to them, people had figured out that the Barrow Gang was in town and they'd notified the cops. Law enforcement throughout the state of Iowa decided to form a posse. The people of Dexter decided to join in on the fun, and soon, a rowdy mob of 50 drunken locals armed themselves with whatever guns they could find. The posse was approaching at daybreak on the 24th when one of them stepped on a branch, alerting Clyde to their presence. Just fucking old SEAL Team 6 Clyde over here. <laughs> yeah, bunch of drunk-ass yokels from Iowa. But that's yeah. what, like, you can actually hear the banjos creeping up and Clyde's just sleeping away. And as soon as they <laughs> crack, he's like, motherfucker, get the guns! Sounds, sounds a little different than the metal shields. <laughs> he hears the... Then instantly just flips down his night vision. <laughs> <laughs> like it does in the video games, you know? <laughs> he just turns into a fucking SEAL Team 6 member all of a sudden. Clyde grabbed his BAR and the fight was on. Clyde was hitting the left arm, either breaking it or at least leaving it so injured he could barely move it. A shotgun pellet dug a groove across the left side of his face. He realized the jig was up, so he and WD dove into a car with Bonnie. He slammed on the gas and immediately smashed into a tree stump and had to get out and run. It's like six feet. This shit ain't the like car. the movies, you know. <laughs> yeah. In the movies, they jump in and just fucking slam down on the gas with their hand, and they get a ways away before they're able to like recorrect here immediately. It's gonna take a few times to start first. He's like, "Come on, come on, baby, come on, baby," and he's like rubbing the dashes. Bolts are smashing through. Come on, baby, <laughs> yeah. I love you. And he takes off, but here he's like, he's probably like parked. Right up on the tree stump, too. He's like, I got this, fellas. Let's get out of here. Fed push button start. <laughs> All right. So it immediately started no problem. <laughs> yeah. And then just boom. It was a Tesla on a charger. <laughs> he ran into the charger. <laughs> the vehicle moved one foot. All right. Shit out of luck, guys. Let's go. Stupid autopilot. Let's scram, boys. <laughs> also, this is. Like the twelfth time he's crashed a car, but he's always the getaway driver. Like, is no one else qualified? Have you never worked for a a bad leader? <laughs> That's what happens. He's the leader of this gang. He's always going to get the primo position. He's always going to try to play hero. Doesn't mean he's fucking good. 
Yeah, and I bet you he immediately blames someone else. As soon as he smashed that tree stump, he's like, God damn it, WD, why didn't you warn me that was there? What are you good for, you fucking idiot? Hey, that's what good leaders do, man. <laughs> Deflect. Blame. So dissension, yes. Yeah. I do everything right. Everybody else does everything wrong. That's how I run my Dairy Queen with my family of employees. <laughs> Buck and Blanche went their own way, and the mob split in half to pursue the two groups. Buck fired his pistol in the general direction of the posse. But he wasn't real good at shooting, since he was missing a large portion of his fucking skull. He was struck several times in the body before Blanche convinced him it was time to surrender. They were captured and driven to Dexter to receive medical treatment. Buck would die five days later. No. Oh, poor gay. He was going to move to Canada and be a fur trapper. Hmm. Uh, just didn't have the chance, you know? Because he was missing the front of his fucking head. Doctors would remove the glass from Blanche's eyes, but she would be partially blind for the rest of her life. She would also be sentenced to ten years in prison for the actions of the Barrow Gang. Bonnie was hit in the side by shotgun pellets, but suffered only a minor wound, and she, Clyde, and W.D. were able to escape across a river and flee back toward West Dallas. At one point, they were so poor that they had to wear bedsheets as clothing like children, dressed up as ghosts for Halloween. Well, I mean, they were dressed up as ghosts, or, you know, it was the 1930s, and it was south oh, of no. the Mason-Dixon line. So They were dressed up as ghosts? There was a cross burning in the background? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they kept doing all these spooky chants, you know? Talking about how the south will rise again, and I'm guessing the south means hell, because that's where the demons are. I don't know. I don't know what it means. Something, man, something like that. <laughs> They zigzagged across the country until finally making it back to West Dallas in September, where they had to beg their desolate families for money and medical supplies. W.D., well, he booked it to his mommy's home in Houston, where he was promptly arrested and thrown in jail for 15 years. That's fucking it. <laughs> the gang was now just Bonnie and Clyde. In his defense, W.D. never killed anybody because he couldn't shoot for shit. Takes out that B.A.R. and he's like aiming it. And then he's like doing that cartoon Yosemite Sam thing of shooting into the ground and lifting himself way up in the fucking air and then falling down and hurting himself because he can't aim for anything. He'd shoot at a copper and copper would just be still the whole time and he'd run out, you know. Yeah. The copper would move and there'd be an exact outline of bullets around <laughs> him on the wall. Fuck. What are the chances? This is so realistic. <laughs> and then a big Bugs Bunny would come out and fuck him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In January of 1934, after their wounds were healed, Clyde agreed to help break his old buddy Raymond Hamilton and another prisoner out of the hellscape that was known as the Eastham Prison Farm. The operation... <laughs> Well, it was successful. <laughs> that was that was him doing the night vision thing. Again. <laughs> yeah, it took a second. Okay. Go, 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 go. Yes. All right, move, move. I'm using hand signals, but this is an audio format, but I'm doing the wavy hand and the stop fist thing, but this is a serious operation. You guys have seen fucking movies, right? <laughs> We're doing that. We're doing those. <laughs> 
It was successful, and four men, including Hamilton and a guy named Henry Tush Hog Methvin. I didn't make that up. Dude's nickname's Tush Hog. <laughs> joined up with the Barrow Gang. But a guard was killed in the escape, so the warden got the governor of Texas to approve the creation of a task force specifically designed to take down Bonnie and Clyde. And that task force? It was to be led by a Texas ranger named Nolan Ryan. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Frank Hamer. And Frank Hamer was known for violence, and he always told his men, We are here to enforce the law, and the best way is a forty-five slug in the gut. End quote. Yeah, Frank Hamer, he toes that line of psychopath and badass throughout his career as a Texas Ranger. He will kill 53 people and be wounded like 19 times. So maybe someday that'll be a hangover for our Patreon listeners, but yeah, you just know this dude's fucking crazy and not afraid to just shoot first and ask questions later. Or as my best friend said when he walked into that cafeteria in uh, Colorado. Nope, don't do it. And he said, kill them all and let God sort them out. And I felt that. <sighs> Happy April 20th, everybody. Yay. I don't agree with what he said, by the way. I mean, the last, like, three episodes you said you celebrate. I was more a, of the library adventure fan. <laughs> Felt like they left a lot on the table, so to speak. No pun intended in the cafeteria. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't like anything that we've said. Ever. About that. I'm Ever. sorry. <laughs> I need to take a shower. <laughs> Welcome back. After only a couple months, Clyde and Raymond Hamilton had a falling out because Clyde insisted that Bonnie get an even cut of the money for their few, very few successful robberies. Even though she basically laid in the car and drank all day, while he simultaneously said that Raymond's girlfriend didn't get shit. Almost everyone bailed and the barrel gang was reduced to Bonnie, Clyde, and old Tush Hog. The new gang soon began spending a lot of time in the northeast Louisiana with Henry Methvin's family, who, well, they didn't care for Bonnie and Clyde at all. Henry's father, Ivy, <laughs> okay, <laughs> reached out to the local sheriff and told him that the next time Bonnie and Clyde showed up, he'd turn them over in exchange for immunity for his son. Well, first of all, sir, this is northeast Louisiana. We don't believe in immunizing people okay that's how you get the 5g chips in you and the government starts tracking you so we're not gonna do that but maybe we won't arrest him for his crimes i don't know and second of all his name is ivy what where did this country go wrong we are talking about this story we've been telling this story for three parts and we've got the names cummy we got ivy we got old wd-40 we got tush hog and at some point we're like Let's move away from that. Let's name our kid Brayden. Okay, white people. What's wrong with you? Let's get back to what made this country great. That's all I'm saying. Let's make America great again. That's all I'm saying. Wolf Dick, some patriotic music. 
Well, the sheriff called Frank Hamer, who said, Fuck yeah, I'll give him immunity. Even though he had no actual authority to enforce the law outside of Texas. On Easter Sunday, 1934, Bonnie, Clyde, and Henry were in Grapevine, Texas, waiting to meet up with the Parker family when two motorcycle cops stopped to investigate their parked fancy Ford V8. Henry killed both officers. And, you know, we make a lot of jokes mm-hmm. on this podcast. And if the mothers and fathers of those slain officers happen to be listening to this, mm-hmm. just please understand we're not using their deaths for comedy. You know, we also aim to to tell their truths. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. The mothers and fathers of the police officers killed in 1934. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure they're listening. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of plays from nursing homes with people with dementia. A lot. They don't really care what's being said so much. They just, you know, want to hear noise. The, and, the human voice. Yeah, yeah, I feel like they're being interacted with because their children have abandoned them. Like, long ago. Oh, yeah. Still, somehow, I notice a lot of them checked out on metal shields <laughs> and blanched screaming. <laughs> I, I don't know why. They don't know what's going on. I've gotten a lot of Instagram comments from them saying that we've gone too far talking about Columbine. That was a serious event. We need to take it seriously. But uh, shut up, Grandma. You don't even know what day it is. Come on. Get your shit together. I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. So he shot the first officer. And then the second, he actually shot him in the face as the officer was lying wounded on the ground. This murder would be incorrectly attributed to Bonnie and would greatly tarnish her reputation. Which was just so good before this. (laughs) Just a few days later in Commerce, Oklahoma, Tush Hogg killed another officer that stopped to investigate their car. On May 20th, Bonnie, Clyde, and Tush Hogg went to visit the Methvins in Louisiana. They were just out in the garage separating just different screws and bolts and nuts into different compartments. They took the TV apart. They put it back together again. <laughs> there was a cloud of chemical smoke around them for some reason. I yeah, I don't know what was going on. You got any of that blue stuff I've been seeing floating around, man? That shit is the bomb. <laughs> it was then that Henry's father told him about his plan to betray Bonnie and Clyde. The next day, when the three of them were in Shreveport getting food, Henry ditched the couple. This was no big deal because they knew they might get separated and had agreed to meet at Henry's house and regroup if, you know, in the event that that ever happened. On the 22nd, they arrived at the Methvin home, but Ivy told them that Henry was at a cousin's house and they should come back the following day around 9. They agreed, and Ivy rushed to the sheriff, who sent word to Frank Hamer. The following morning, Frank Hamer and five other men sat in bushes along a narrow dirt road that led to the Methvin's house. As a part of their plan to slow Clyde down, they forced Ivy Methvin to park his truck in the roadway and act as if he had a flat tire. At 9.15, they spotted Clyde barreling down the road. And just as Frank Hamer had thought he would, Clyde stopped to check on Ivy. What a fucking idiot. You know... He's driving 70 miles an hour down this road, and he doesn't even notice the Department of Transportation signs that are up above the road saying stalled car ahead. 
and he just keeps on barreling into traffic. And then, you know, he's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to be late to work. Text my boss, baby. Text him about the traffic. You know, I'm, oh, God, I didn't see that fucking sign. I'm such an mm-hmm. idiot. Such a goddamn idiot. My Apple Maps even told me to reroute and was like, stupid fucking Apple Maps. <laughs> Come on. What does it know? Instead of throwing his Gatorade bottle of piss just out the window to let Ivy know, hey, I saw you and speed right on by, mm-hmm. he decides to help. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Cuck. <laughs> Fucking idiot, dude. Now, Hamer had been told to give Bonnie and Clyde a chance to surrender, and according to him, he planned on jumping out and doing just that. But before he could... Deputy Prentice Oakley jumped to his feet and began firing into the car. Soon, the whole posse was firing at Bonnie and Clyde and would fire over... 150 rounds. And these are (laughs) semi-automatic. Yeah, it took hours. That's 150 pulls of the trigger. There's one guy there with a fucking Revolutionary War musket, and he's like, dump powder and... (laughs) Boom! (laughs) He's firing a shot every 60 seconds. I can fire three of these a minute. That makes me a minute man, boys. (laughs) One of the first shots hit Clyde in the temple, killing him instantly. Bonnie screamed before being riddled by a barrage of bullets. Just for good measure, Frank Hamer ran up to the car and fired two bursts into the already dead Bonnie Parker. I'm a hero, boys. Look at me. <laughs> I got her. Hang the banners. <laughs> like, uh, sir, we we shot literally 200 times before you even came out of the bushes. No, I got her. Look, right there. Put it in the paper. <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde were dead. Frank Hamer and his posse stripped them of their belongings and anything they thought they could sell later as a souvenir. Henry Tush Hogg. Fucking methvin, weird name, dude. He'd be granted immunity in Texas, but not in Oklahoma, where he was given eight years for killing a police officer. He was given a lenient sentence because Frank Hamer testified on his behalf. You know, after the whole, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll give you immunity thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sure, you got it. Well, still, he killed a cop in Oklahoma. That guy's got family, and they're like. Yeah, oh, we're going to get justice, right? <laughs> okay, I'm going to go in the court now. See you later. You just uh, stay golden, pony boy. <laughs> right. Thousands upon thousands of people viewed the bodies of Bonnie and Clyde back in Dallas, and their death car went on a nationwide tour. In the end, they both got the fame and notoriety they desired, and they're remembered to this day as a daring outlaw couple. And they're probably burning in hell, thankful that very few people know how awful their lives and exploits truly were. Until now. End of story. Woo! We did it. God, I'm so tired now. Oh, I took it out of me. Three episodes of Bonnie and Clyde, but we told that story. And you know what? I think we've done it better than anyone ever could. I don't think anyone could put together a better series on Bonnie and Clyde. And please don't recognize that as a challenge and make a better podcast than this because I can't actually handle the competition and I'll have a fucking anxiety attack. Also, don't fact check 
Yes, don't. Oh, God, no. Please don't. Oh, God. We no. win. All right. <laughs> but, Greg, even though we have spent hours telling this story, there are still four little things we left out to kind of add a little cherry on top of the Sunday, if you will. And we call those things the fast facts. Fast fact number one. News of Buck Barrow's imminent death reached his mother, Cummy, on the same day he was captured. Showing a great deal of compassion, Dallas Sheriff Smoot Schmid, who had been desperate to capture the gang, arranged for Cummy to travel to Iowa to be with Buck as he died. He even had his officers raise money to cover the travel expenses. But by the time she arrived, Buck had developed pneumonia and was delirious. He would soon fall into a coma and die. But hey, you know, at least Cummy got to watch her son die, right? Yay! <laughs> Fast fact number two. When Blanche was captured, she went through hours upon hours of interrogation and felt like the Iowa police mistreated her. Things only got worse when J. Edgar Hoover director of the Department of Justice's Division of Investigation, came to ask questions. Blanche was wearing an eye patch over her wounded eye during the interview, and Hoover said that if she didn't talk, he'd gouge out her other eye. Blanche hadn't actively participated in the crimes with Buck and Clyde, so she had nothing to say. Fortunately, Hoover's threat turned out to be a bluff. Fast fact number three. When Henry Methvin killed an officer in Commerce, Oklahoma, Bonnie and Clyde took that officer's partner hostage and drove him to Kansas. They bought him food, nice clothes, and he developed a fondness for Bonnie. When they released him, he asked Bonnie what he should tell the newspapers. Once again worried about her image as a lady, Bonnie said, quote, Tell them I don't smoke cigars. End quote. Fast fact number four. Bonnie and Clyde's death car was towed away from the scene by a wrecker that unfortunately broke down as it was hauling the car away. It was doubly unfortunate that the car broke down in front of a school. It was triply unfortunate that the bodies of Bonnie and Clyde were still in the fucking car and one of the students pulled the sheet off of them, revealing their mangled corpses two hundreds. Of onlooking students. Like, this isn't the cafeteria or library of a Colorado school in 1999. All right. Well, that does it. We thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope we aren't canceled tomorrow when people hear all of the horrible things we have said in this episode. If you have enjoyed this show, maybe you should check us out at hunterproofhistory.com. You can find bio information on us, you know, some of the older episodes, stuff like that. You can also find a link to our Patreon for just $3 a month. Get you access to new episodes two days early and get you 39 classic episodes and 60 something bonus mini episodes ranging from 15 to 30 minutes each. It's tons of stuff, tons of fun. In the meantime, you can also find us on social media at 100ProofHistory, mostly hanging out on the Instagram and the Facebook, posting the memes and stuff related to the story, but every once in a while, pop up on that 
Twitter just to be outraged about everything. But that is it. Again, I thank you for listening. I am your sexy co-host, Christopher. For Dan Dan, the intro man. For Wolf Dick, our esteemed invalid producer, we appreciate your patronage and your time. And we collectively ask, main host, best host, Greg, what else? Well, thanks for sticking with us through this wild ride of a series on Bonnie and Clyde, folks. We hope you enjoyed hearing about the escapades of these notorious outlaws. And we promise we won't ask you to be our getaway driver anytime soon. Keep tuning in for more historical hijinks and plenty of laughs. Until next time, keep your hats on tight and your moonshine stronger than the law. Goodbye. I want to hate ChatGPT, but goddamn, it's so much better at this than we are. <laughs> so good. Bye. So good. I guarantee you some hillbilly has used it as lubricant, though. 100%. One of the Google questions was, can I use WD-40 as lube? Which is not <laughs> what you say when you're talking about moving parts. <laughs> I didn't click on it. Honey, grab the lube. This door is squeaky. Let's get some lube in here. <laughs> Walk in the Ace Hardware. Look the guy dead in the eyes. Hey, buddy. Got any lube? Yeah, he knows what you mean. WD-40. He knows what he's, you're talking about. Good way to suss somebody out. <laughs> oh, you're a dirty boy, aren't you, Ace Man? <laughs> he's like, yes, You take me in the back, Ace? <laughs> Might need to use one of your weed eaters to trim away my pubes so you can suck my dick. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That was, oh. Yeah, yes, I'm leaving. <laughs> Sir, I was just going to take you in the back and show you where we we were out of WD-40 on the shelf. I was going to take you back there and get a can. Oh. But you have my attention. A can right. of that fucking man butthole. <laughs> <laughs> I am getting very mixed signals from you, Ace employee. <laughs> when the police knocked on the door, Clyde and WD immediately started firing through the doors and windows smashing high-caliber rounds into the shields and pushing the cops back. Cowboy. He's a five-year-old. High cowboy. High cowboy. I want to be a file fighter. 